Today's episode is brought to you by Pale Horse Media Co. Head on over to www.palehorsemedia.co for more of your favorite shows, books, and merch. I have two brand new releases for you over at Pale Horse Media Co. The first one, In His Name, My First Dive Into Fiction. It is just a fun, cool thriller if you're into that kind of sort of thing. And and we have the second expanded edition of the original, of the OG Safety Sucks, the bullshit and the safety profession they don't tell you about. I go through, I expand on some thoughts, add some bonus material, reflect on some of the chapters. So if either of those sound like things you should be interested in, again head over to www.palehorsemedia.co CO or find them on your Amazon marketplace. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for all of your support of the books of the podcast of the merch store of everything. It truly means the world to us. This, this, this show is brought to you by safety FM. The hop nerd podcast is brought to you by hop University. Head on over to hopuniversity.org. That's hopuniversity.org. We offer on-demand and in-person hop training, speaking engagements, one-on-one coaching for safety professionals, and consultation to organizations for all things safety better. Again, head over to hopuniversity.org. O-R-G. Today's episode is also brought to you by Safety Sucks, the bullshit in the safety profession they don't tell you about, aka my first book. You can pick up a copy over at safetysucks.net if you want a signed copy. It's also available on Amazon through Amazon Prime. You can get a Kindle version of that. You can also head over to Audible or iTunes and get an audiobook version. Again, today is brought to you by Safety Sucks. Head over to safetysucks.net or pick up a copy wherever you find books or audio books. Hello, howdy, hi everybody, Sam Goodman, the Hop Nerd, bringing you another episode of the Hop Nerd Podcast. How are you doing today? I hope that you are doing absolutely excellent wherever you find yourselves. Things are going pretty good here today, and today is a very cool episode. I'm not even going to say a lot. I'm just going to tell you that we have the amazing Gary Wong. So I'm going to shut up. Here we go. And so I'm joined today by the one and only the amazing Gary Wong. How are you doing today, sir? I'm just doing fine. Thanks for asking. Great. We were just sitting here chatting about the weather and and how cold and soggy it is uh, in your neck of the woods and how horrible and hot it is here <laughs> right now. We're just, just chatting about maybe trading that. <laughs> Well, I'm in Vancouver, so I mean, it's uh, we're famous for the wet weather. Right. Uh, the fact, it's so wet we don't even notice it, and that's you know, that's kind of like safety, right? You just kind of right. like get used to some things. You become mm-hmm. complacent about weather, and if it rains, it rains. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Right. Right. It's just yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, but before we dive into uh, our conversation today, uh, would you mind to give folks a little bit of information about who you are, your background, a little bit of that? Sure. Okay. By by professional education, I am an electrical engineer, and very similar to like to you, Samir. I spent a lot of time in the electrical utility business. Mm-hmm. Um, started off as an engineer. Discovered actually engineering was quite boring. It was the same thing over and over again. You do one, you do another. Mm-hmm. I really got into operations management because I found people to be very fascinating, and kind of basically went into management um, a lot sooner than mm-hmm. I thought I would. Um, I'm not a safety professional, but because you are a manager, a line manager, 
you do actually have responsibility for your people here. Right. And I always remember um, when I was a young engineer, one of the VPs who I, I really admired said to me, Gary, um, let me give you one story that, uh, or one thing you always want to remember here is that the worst situation you can have is when you have to go to knock on the door <clears throat> of one of your workers here, face the mm-hmm. spouse and say, I'm sorry, but, right? And said, and that's, that story stuck, it gave me nightmares. Like, how do I, what can I do to prevent that situation ever from happening again? Yeah. So I did that. Um, I ended up um, doing more business stuff. Um, ended up actually spending some time going global consulting, Britain Young Consulting. So because of that, I got into more of the change management area, which again, opened my eyes out on that area there. Um, decided to kind of go on my own when I figured I had enough. And that's been on my own for over a decade or so. And I always had a soft spot for safety. And that's where I kind of like we're doing it. So my kind of like um, <clears throat> aha moment happened about 2008, 2009. And mm. I was asked by um, utility to come in here because they had just had a fatality with one electrician's here. You know, Gary, can you come in here and do a kind of like an independent study? Because, you know, I've got to do the optics thing. look like I'm doing something, you know. Yeah. And sure, um, I said, I can do that because I knew the company well. I figured I kind of know what was going on. Um, so it probably had like 75% of the report already written. So I figured I'd just kind of stroll around, talk mm-hmm. to a few people here, validate what I already knew, and that would be it. Thank God I had a colleague with me who said, Gary, you can do that or you can do this. And what was this? We can take a complexity point of view. What the hell is complexity? I never studied that in university. Okay. Yeah. And you kind of quite, you know, well, we can do this. And we can also collect stories. Stories. Why do you want to collect stories here? Because that way you find out what the people are thinking about. And I was convinced enough that I went back to my, <laughs> my, my, um, the manager who was my client. And I convinced him, said, I'd like to try something different. Um, I can't guarantee what the results are going to be because it's uncertain and unpredictable. But I can guarantee that you will get some action stuff out of it. And that's all that he was really interested in. Yeah, give me some action stuff. I can stick my teeth in. Looks like I'm doing something here. And yes, if it improves safety, let's go for it. And Sam, I'm so glad, you know, that was a really turning point that allowed me to look at this world of complexity mm. and then look at a complexity-based safety approach. So over the past 10 years, um, I'm associated with a, a company called Cognitive Edge. Found, um, it's co-founded by Dave Snowden. And he's introduced me to different things like the Kinevin framework, which we can talk about here. And then this whole anthro complexity approach, which I have been using. And as you say, probably see me in other webinars or YouTube. I've been mm-hmm. kind of like saying, this is an exploration, what I'm doing here. Yeah. In 2015, I kind of like uh, wrote an article in safetydifferently.com, kind of pushing this view about looking at stories here. Um, I think it's resonated. It's caught hold with some people here. But to me, it's just safety differently, and we're just exploring. Um, yeah. you know, Just one way of looking at things, using complexity. 
Yeah, that, that's awesome. It's, it's so interesting. I always love to hear the story of how folks find themselves in this weird and wonky world that we're in, because it's never this clear cut thing, right? It's never this. Well, I decided that I was going into safety at it. You know, I, I woke up as a young child and decided that this is what I was going to do. We all find ourselves in this, this, this weird path that brings us to this. And I think it's so interesting to hear those stories. Um, when you start talking about complexity, I think this is probably a really good jumping off point for us. It seems like a lot of organizations fear that word almost when we start saying complexity, there's, there's like this innate need to seek simplification in organizations that things are just so simple. And and we, we can apply that to a broad spectrum of things, whether it's the way that, that organizations view rules that if people just follow rules, then bad things won't happen. If we just look at the, the indicators, then we can predict when bad things will happen. We'll just keep it really simple. We, we even to the pyramid, right? We could even kind of pick on the pyramid of trying to paint this very clear, linear, simple picture of how things occur, or even going back farther to Heinrich's dominoes, right? Of this very clear, linear picture of how things happen. Um, and and as as we have all started to wake up to, or a lot have started to wake up to, is that's just not how things function in the real world. To just just accept that complexity, right? Instead of trying to turn things linear, um, to start that conversation a little bit, how do we find ourselves into this world where we would seek simplification rather than seeking yeah. to accept or or even begin to understand complexity? Yeah, it's a really good starting point because. I think what we've learned over time is that there are three basic systems in the real world. Mm. Um, there's a system called order, which you've just nicely described. There is one that's called complex, and there's one called chaos here. Complex and chaos are natural. They happen in the real world. Order system is human created. Essentially, it's artificial. And I'll say that because humans are the only species that try to create artificial order. Mm. We have this innate desire that we must put things in linear sequential order here because the real world is messy and we don't like messiness. So we need to kind of like create these rules, these what we call system constraints that force people to behave a certain way here. And this is all well and good and it works for a certain for certain things here, but we also found out as we kind of go through the evolution of safety thinking is that a lot of these beliefs that we hold about order are myths and fallacies. I mean, one of the neat things I like about the hot principles is that they challenge some of these beliefs. I mean, one of the things that uh, a belief that um, people talk about is behavior economics and nudging. This is Richard Thaler's book, which is very interesting here. And he talks about some of these order beliefs in the world of economics, where, well, I mean, humans are, we have unbounded rationality, we have unbounded willpower, unbounded selfishness, and all this, how we will have behavior modify us here. Well, eh, ain't right. We're not that at all here. I think the way that uh, we've seen the um, really the rich get richer and poor get poorer, those things aren't working here because we're now learning that humans are not rational decision makers. We make irrational decisions based on emotions and these things we call heuristics. And what are heuristics? Well, they're first fit 
pattern matching by our brains. Mm -hmm. And that brings out another myth that we've got here. And this all comes back to, you know, going way back in the 20s through um, scientific management, Taylor's many officer, where we looked at humans as cogs of the machine. And because of that, therefore, humans are machines. And darn, they should be perfect machines. They should not make errors, right? Otherwise, become accident prone here. Well, when you look at that thing here, no. Our brain, we're, we're not designed to be readers of documents and stuff get and following rules. Our brains were actually designed to be pattern recognizers. This is where the real value is. And this is why we've kind of moved into storytelling here because from stories, you can actually start deriving a lot of different patterns here. Just think about it, uh, how we pass information down from generation to generation. Well, you know, if, if I wanted to learn something about Chinese traditions from my grandparents, I don't get a document passed down to the manual. Right. No. Right. What do they do? They pass it down in terms of stories, rituals, those sort of mm -hmm. things here, which then for me, the brains, you know, they, they organize it. And that's how we remember sort of things. So I can pass them down to my kids <clears throat> and their kids. And that's how we generationally pass information down. Wow. And we always talked a bit about there's, there's um, documentation, uh, information, which is explicit knowledge. Mm -hmm. But a lot of stuff that we darn well know is tacit knowledge. It's yeah. stuff that we just contain in the brain. And we pass that down through stories. Right? Yeah. So you get back to that master-apprentice relationship, which I've always loved. How does the master pass the information down to the apprentice? It's through stories. It's through experiences here. Um, you can do this, but you can't do that here. But it's not written down anywhere, Sam. Right, right. right. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's such a great example because that's something that, that I chat with folks about all the time. Uh, myself and a couple, a couple of my my near and dear friends here in kind of my day job, we started calling it our organizational folklore because it, it kind of is right. You find these whether the good stuff, the not so great stuff, just the stuff that's shared. We kind of hear things, we experience things, and we take that, we add to or take away from that, and then pass it on, and it just kind of gets modified and, and shared, right? And I, I love your example because it, it's the same. I, I, I really it draws me back to thinking about my own family. And I grew up in a family that that uh, comes from the rural Appalachian region of Virginia and kind of known for bluegrass and kind of all these different styles of music. And when you really look back and start to examine these songs, it was the passing down of stories and tradition yeah. and all that stuff that was passed down through songs. So I, I think it's, it's, it's interesting to draw those comparisons. Um, one thing that I find extremely interesting in organizations, too, is that 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 storytelling, that lore within the organization is so much more important than the symbols that manifest in the organization. Right. We see so much of this stuff that organizations have the posters on the wall that says this is us. This is our values. This is that we have the books that say this and that and the other. But none of that really matters to the employee that much. It seems like what really matters to the employees, what's passed down to them in that master apprentice relationship that, that you were just touching on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the neat things about the hot principles is the hot principles really don't tell you what to do. Mm. They actually tell you what not to do. So when you ask the question, okay, as principles, what else doesn't tell you 
don't do this. My God, that's Aesop's fables. That's Grimm's fairy tales. You know, they set up the yeah. situation here, like, okay, don't eat the poison apple or whatever, yeah. right? Yeah. Because we can learn a lot more about that. Or as, you know, one of the situations I've got is if you've got Fred and Fred does something that's not too smart, that story gets passed down and it comes down to like, don't do what Fred did. Yeah. yeah. That's all you have to say. Everybody kind of gets it. Or yeah. if you're the apprentice, the apprentice will kind of go like, well, well who's Fred, right? It's right. So you can embellish right. that by telling the story, which is kind of cool. But in some cases here, that's how the best way people kind of learn. And that's what they passed on as well and share. Right. Right. Absolutely. I, I find that so interesting. I find that so interesting. As we were kind of touching on it, you had mentioned, and it, I bring this up because it seems like there's a lot of a lot of folks out there, a lot of organizations out there, they're still stuck in this piece. You touched on scientific management and kind of talking about how employees are still kind of viewed by many organizations as just a cog in the machine, uh, so to speak. And really they're viewed as a problem to control, right? We see, we see the, 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 the person as the problem in an otherwise perfect system that we've designed. And that if they would just toe the line and follow the rules and be that perfect person, then everything's fine and we wouldn't, ex- we wouldn't experience these operational upsets. We wouldn't experience these injuries. If people just cared enough, they, they were good enough, or they were just a little bit better. Um, how do we start to move organizations beyond that? How do we, how do we get past that? Because that's, that's a little bit of a dated ideology, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, one of the things I kind of do in my adaptive safety workshop is I, I do um, a timeline evolution of safety thinking. And I kind of show how things have evolved. And evolution is about how we learn as we go along here. And, you know, the idea is that we carry on the stuff that still works, but we try to abandon, leave behind the stuff that doesn't work here. So you can talk about how humans have been treated as we go through. You go back into the early 1900s and 20s, and humans were treated as cogs of the machine. That's all that they were. So it was all about the technology, age of technology, if you like, and less about the humans. They just kind of like push the buttons, whatever here. Then, of course, we kind of like revolted about that. So then you kind of move into that next area. And the next area is kind of like the age of human factors are sort of growing. And then you start looking at, well, okay, as part of a system, which is now systems thinking, people are part of a system now. So now we have people, we have process, we have technology all working together. And that sort of idea like that. Well, that works well, but people are still looked upon as, well, you know, you are still hazards. So we have to kind of like constrain you and put rules around that so you don't get hurt, which is fine. So we kind of go through that age. And then the next age that we go through is like safety management, as Eric Hollenagel's talk about here. And now it's all about humans are actually heroes. We have the ability to adapt to changing conditions here. And we can make these small adjustments here that hopefully allow safety to emerge, right? So now what we've done is that we've taken that going like, you know, I think we can progress that a bit further and just say, we're actually in the age of cognitive complexity now. So we can look at sciences and we're trying to be science-based. So we look at cognitive science, natural science, and obviously complexity science here. 
you kind of say, well, what does that mean here? Well, if you look at that route, let's look at humans as storytellers. Now, kind of different. So this is why we talk about anthro-complexity. We're adding in the idea of, of anthropology and the field of ethnography. Because that's how somehow information gets passed along. A lot of it is not documented, as you all know. No. It gets passed down that way here. So let's take advantage of that and, and make use of that information here. So now that it, it kind of develops this whole interest of, of looking at how can we actually view safety now? Well, in the past, we had safety one, we had safety two. We're saying, well, you know, Safety can be the emergent property of a complex adaptive system. Well, where does that take us to be? Well, safety is not a product. You don't produce it. You do certain things, you create your conditions, and safety emerges. And the analogy that I kind of use is like if you look at, at, at coffee, if you take um, kind of dry coffee grounds and you pour hot water into them, something emerges. We call that aroma. Oh, where the heck did aroma come from, right? If you look at all this, all the equations everything else here, it doesn't show up there. That's complexity, phenomena that just emerge. And so we can say safety is an emergent property, the same way that we can say success is an emergent property. You do certain things, success will emerge. You do certain things, failure may emerge. So that's allowed us to kind of look at things from a different lenses about, okay, what's this thing called emergence now, which is a complexity phenomenon. I really, I really like the way that you, you touched on this being an evolution in particular, because we're very quick. This, this is a part that not to, not to sidestep too much here, um, but this is a part that I've over the past several podcasts that I've recorded, we've ended up in this territory because there seems to be a lot of, uh, even within our own community, a lot of conflict, is, it seems like, around this idea of, no, we need to get rid of this. No, we need to, those people are terrible. We stay away from those people. And it, it's really not that. It really is this evolution of trying to just do things better. I've, all, I've, I've gotten to the point of just saying safety better because it seems to stir up too much emotion when I say certain other things. So I, I really I really appreciate the fact that you're talking about this being an evolution that for sure there, there's probably some things that we need to cut the fat out of, right? We need to kind of maybe not do that anymore, but I, I like the whole notion of just seeing, keeping the good and maybe get rid of, get, uh, getting rid of some of the things that aren't so great, but understanding that there's still a lot of value there and a lot of the traditional approaches, that there's still a lot of lessons that we've learned that we don't need to lose, that we need to carry with us, that we need to carry with us in the future. Yeah. I think that's a very important takeaway from, from that as well. So, so one of the things that we've created or Dave Snowden has created is something called a Kinevin framework. Okay, mm -hmm. so it's a funny spelling. It's C-Y-N-E-F-I-N. It's a Welsh word for habitat. And it's a concept. Um, if you kind of know where you presently are, then you know how to behave and what tools to use. The Kinevin framework is a partial sense-making representation of the free world. And essentially, it comes from looking at those three basic systems, order, complex, and chaos. And really what it's used is for helping decision makers pick the right appropriate problem-solving method for the system they present are in. So that case here, we can kind of say like, 
you're not always in the complex because of the complex, it's, there's unpredictability, confusion. No, there are many times that we're in what we call the clear domain because the Kinevnet framework is a five, five domains. Clear domain is one. Uh, and that's the stuff where most of us kind of like do our daily routine sort of work. We know if we do this, this will happen. So a very then causal effect world. It's a world we actually kind of like because we do like order. But then there's another um, domain called complicated domain. It's where you and I go like, oh, what the heck is going on here? We need to call in an expert, knows a little bit more here. So we call in the safety professionals or whatever. They look at it and they kind of like have their different models, bang it around, then decide, okay, based on this choices, this is what we recommend. They actually find an optimal solution. So in that clear domain, that was best practices, which we kind of love. Standard operating procedures here. In safety, we like that. But there are cases here like, you know, there's more than one right answer. That's a complicated domain. So there you get guidelines instead. You know, there's still a if-then relationship here, but there's different ways that you can kind of go with that. Then we flip over to the other side which is all about unpredictability or so, we kind of get, first of all, the chaos domain, chaotic domain, where everything is random here. We don't know what the heck it is. It's typically what happens when an accident takes place, immediately, bang. And our response for that is, let's get out of here as quickly as possible. You know, stabilize, minimize, then we can figure out what the heck is going on here. The other one that's really interesting and where I spend a lot of time is that complex domain. Because in the complex domain, we're trying to figure out here, okay, um, there's a lot of unpredictability. We don't know, we don't have an idealistic future state to head towards here. So we have to do a lot of trial and error exploration, probing and stuff here. And I think in many cases here, like safety culture, that's where we are. Safety culture resides in the Kinevin complex domain here. So we have to be very careful and kind of like one step ahead here, figure out what's happening before we take the next step. And essentially what we say is we have to manage the evolutionary potential of the present Mm. and let the future kind of unfold. So you look at today's situation with um, the pandemic that we're into here, and everybody's talking about the new normal or the next normal. How do we do that here? It's really unfair to look at our leaders and say, okay, um, it's up to you to figure this out and lead us. That is a complicated domain approach where somebody has figured out where the idealistic future is and we just follow along here. It's complex because we don't know what the future looks like. So it's kind of like, I'm not by myself. You better come along for the ride. And we need to figure this out all together. What is this new normal going to be? And we're seeing that now, very simple example about people working home at home, working remotely. And now they're now they're kind of like experimenting. Should we do this 100% of the time now? Um, what sort of issues are going to take place here? Is this only temporary? Is there new normals? Uh, one of the more um, interesting things I came across is one of the plants, I think it was India, that uh, reopened, manufacturing plant reopened here. 
But of course, they reopened with all these new COVID-19 protocols. You got to wear this. You got to wear that. You got to wear this here. You know, so it's a totally kind of like different normal for them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it caused an accident to take place. And they were all going like, well, we got to realize the whole situation has changed here. We need to really slowly figure out step by step what works mm. or doesn't work. And what is this new normal going to be? I think that's something that's really interesting because as we were, as we were thrust into this new world <laughs> early on, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I had the opportunity to um, observe a little bit of what was going on at different locations and different, different power plants and different facilities and the way that, that they respond to these, because you obviously, you know, in certain situations, we can't just not produce electricity, right? There's, there's again, coming from the, the, the utility space, you find yourself going, okay, well, we still have to produce, right? We have to, we have to, or things get much, much worse if we don't. <laughs> so I think what was really interesting though, is this seemed to happen rather quickly and we were forced into a space where we had to adapt, right? We, we were forced into a space that here's some, some scary words for, for the safety crowd out there. We had to experiment and we had to get, there's the C word creative and we had to figure stuff out. And those words are somewhat scary for more of the traditional safety crowd. But for me, I found those to be kind of where we need to be at almost. We need to be in this micro experimenting place where we can feel our way through what works and what doesn't work. And we should get a little creative. And because in the world that we we found ourselves in, a lot of the traditional approaches just didn't work anymore. Right. We were kind of in a place where we're going, okay, we have to experiment and find out what works now. And another benefit to that. Um, as we were kind of touching on the ways that that organizations typically respond to some of this stuff of creating process or creating guideline um, or especially in the procedural world of creating the one correct way to do something. We found it to be so true now that that's just not true, right? There's rarely ever one correct way to do something. There's multiple paths to, to success and there's multiple paths to not so successful outcomes. And as we were thrust into this world, we had to feel our way through this. We didn't have the luxury anymore of, of kind of the, the normal, right? We were kind of forced into an off normal state and we just had to figure stuff out. Um, what, would, what would you say uh, to folks out there um, around experimentation in the safety world or getting creative in the safety world? What, what, would, what would be your take on that stuff? Yeah, I think... Um you know, if I, fortunately, I can't draw, I can't have a framework on here, but it's, yeah. you know, somebody, some people refer to it as a, as a quadrant, two by mm-hmm. two, um, not quite correct. We call them the domains, but good enough to give you a visualization yeah. without looking at one here. Um, in the clear domain, best practices, you know, standard operating procedures, everything's there here. And what happens is that next to it is this chaotic domain. And because of that, we have this kind of like cliff, edge of chaos, some people call it here. Mm. And if you venture too close to the edge or the boundary, you can fall over and plunge. You know, sometimes we call, as Sidney Decker calls it, you know, we're drifting towards failure. Yeah. It's when you fall over this. So that kind of all kind of fits nicely here. So what happens is that, you know, we can sense, we can early detect weak signals that, oh, looks like, 
maybe our crews or somebody is getting close to the edge, they're getting complacent or whatever. Yeah. We need to push them back, right? So we do that. I mean, we actually maybe incent. We could punish people to move back. You know, we do campaigns, push them back to, mm-hmm. and since you were doing, we push the operating point back. But as we know, practical drift says the overtime will start to drift back again. So what we can do now is that we can say, instead of instead of yanking or pushing or shoving people back, and quite often they will do that reluctantly. Mm-hmm. But because we're creatures of least human effort and we'd like to take shortcuts, we will drift back. Yeah. So now we have an opportunity to say, oh, well, let's do something and let's examine this closely. What we do on the Kinevin framework, we say, let's go into the complex domain and explore, do some experiments. We call these experiments safe to fail, as opposed to fail safe. Safe to fail is because these are small contained experiments just to see what's going to happen here. You know, and if the if we kind of get the desirable results that we want, do more. But if something bad, you know, oh, comes up, we better either dampen or shut her down here. That's the whole idea of trial and error and looking and trying mm-hmm. to find what's what's kind of new out there. So that so we can kind of go into that space there, and that's where we can do some a lot of learning here as well. Yeah, I like that, and I, I really appreciate your point on um, on drift because we find that right. We 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 tend to try to um, curtail human behavior through force, right, or by asking, right. That that's that's one way many organizations do this is in, instead of trying to go out and and actually understand where that drift is coming from or how we're, you know, how we're falling towards that cliff. We just go out and tell people just get away from that, <laughs> right? Go, 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 go yeah. back that way. Um, and we, we lose sight on the fact that a lot of drift comes from the fact that people are drifting towards efficiency, right? As, as humans, we've, we just naturally seek the most efficient way to get things done. We're in, in, in the back parts of our head somewhere, we're constantly thinking about calorie conservation, right? We're constantly thinking uh-huh. about how, how can we do this with the least amount of effort, the least amount of energy, cognitive energy as well, because that, that takes a ton of calories, right, to, to, to push through that back to some of the, the earlier points that you were making. Um, so we kind of just naturally fall into that drift and start moving into that direction, right? So at some point, um, where I guess where I'm going is that at some point, how do we actually get folks to understand um, or how do we move beyond this notion of just thinking that to curb the drift or to curb behavior or to, to, to rein people in that we, how do we get past this idea of just going out and asking people to change that behavior? How do we get past this notion of just going out and saying, no bad, don't do that. How how do we, how do we take a more systems-based approach to that? So what we do with that here is that we actually use an approach called anthro complexity, anthro short for Mm -hmm. anthropology. And essentially we go into the uh, field of ethnography again, storytelling, so we kind of make use of that here. And what we're very fascinated and interested in is what are the sort of decisions that people, workers, are making to decide things here? And can you yeah. tell us a story? What was going on in your mind when you kind of made that here? So one of the things that we can do now, and this is, we've been doing this for the past 10 years. Um, a lot of it has been um, by the military. 
Um, in fact, um, just a bit of history here, uh, one of the more famous uses was in 2004, right after 911. Mm-hmm. Um, um, Dave Snowden um, of Cognitive Edge was working at DARPA. John Points, Poindexter at the time was saying, Dave, um, I, I, I need to find out what the troops are feeling about in Afghanistan here. I want to do something here. And when he asked the questions of the generals, the generals would say, oh, they're just fine, thank you very much. Everything's tickety-boo. Mm-hmm. And Poindexter is going like, I just got a bad feeling about this. I'm not sure. Is there another way we can find out? And Dave says, oh, well, you know, everybody's got a smart device of some sort here. Here's what we can do. We can actually collect narrative fragments, stories, if you like. Um, we can actually get them to tag them in a certain way and don't have a lot of time, but maybe another podcast I can explain this to you. Yeah, yeah. But it's just a way of say, tell, give us your interpretation of what's happening here. So what they did is that they went out to the patrols and said, okay, instead of doing a weekly report, and you know what weekly reports are like, you kind of forget what happened on Monday and Tuesday, you remember what happened on Friday. (laughs) (laughs) So as you're going out there, I want you to start just talking about recording the decisions that you were making on the patrol here and what you, how you are feeling about them, what sort of pressures and tensions under. And then we can actually use a tool called SenseMaker and we can convert that kind of um, qualitative sort of information into quantitative points. Mm-hmm. What we can do with that now is we can actually generate visual maps. And what we call, we call these narrative maps. Um, so to make a long story short, we can actually now visualize safety culture as a map. So now we can kind of go like, okay, based on the narratives that are that um, people are telling, and the, <clears throat> the, the soldiers were very happy because they didn't have to do weekly reports, and they could immediately report something was happening with a little um, app on their uh, on their um, on their phones, yeah. and it would be re- recorded. So now we kind of had, kind of take it a different view where we can actually take what's happening in the field, move that up to patterns and start looking at patterns, um, contour maps, if you like, you know, they can generate these things here. And we can actually start visualizing and seeing what's happening in the field. This gave um, NSA a really good feeling about what was happening to the troops because one thing about these sort of patterns and stories is that they are lead indicators not lag. So if a soldier says, you know, I got a bad feeling about this, you know, taking that from Star Wars, Mm -hmm. that became like, we got to figure out why does not feel good about this thing here. Or if he shares a story here, I knew about that. And gosh darn, I wish we had done something about it after the fact. Wow. I mean, what can we learn from that? Right. So what we do then is that we actually ask the intervention question here is, if you look at a map of stories, and our software has the ability, the SenseMaker software, is that when you look at a dot, a dot is a story. If you click on the dot, the story pops out and you can actually read it. So you get context 
So yeah. you can go like, oh my God, I didn't realize that we were doing this stuff here. And then when you see a whole bunch of dots talking about the same thing, it almost pops up as a cluster. Or if you look at a 3D thing, looks also comes up like a peak. Mm-hmm. That's where you focus your attention on it. What's really neat is then we can ask the intervention questions like, what stories do you like? What stories don't you like? Well, we don't like these ones here because we're not getting the work done. We're in danger. Yeah. What's, oh, well, we like over here. These guys are telling stories. We're, we're getting the work done and they're, and they're actually doing it within all the safety rules. So that we can kind of go like, well, can you tell me why, how do we get fewer stories there? more stories over here. And when we ask decision makers that, you get some really interesting things. But wow, that's because it's rule 42 or rule 17, right? They kind of know what are the constraints and rules that are causing people to behave and tell those stories here. So that that allows us now to say, you know what? We can actually do those safe to fail experiments we talked about here. Let's do some hunch planning. Let's do some what we call abductive thinking. Not inductive, but deductive, but abductive. We don't know, but we're going to play a hunch. Yeah. Wow. And and what we do is that, yeah, yeah, what we do is that we just say, okay, what constraint, what rules, regulations, policies would you like to tighten or loosen? Mm. And then let's just watch what the people do, what new behaviors emerge here. Now, this is a safe to fail, so we have to contain it so it doesn't run away from us. And we can do that. So we may do it with a, oh, let's try this in one group here, see what happens over here. So we're very careful that we don't, you know, have things run amok here and go crazy on us here. Right. This is how we, and this is basically, you know, like one of the hot principles, learning is vital. Mm. And this is how we learn. It, it's so interesting to me to hear the stories used in that fashion um, as as a signal, right? As as a starting point, which then just just from listening to that, I would assume would lead us to exploring even more stories in those areas that we would want to explore. Um, in in my world, it would lead us to almost uh, completing of, of something like a learning team or a listening session or getting a group of folks together to go. Okay, we've got this big glob of stories here that are not so great or are amazing, right? This is a lot of inter- interesting success that we're having here, which is a place that a lot of organizations overlook of that those big chunks of success that we normally have. Um, now we can dig into that and try to understand, okay, well, how are we successful? Yeah. How are we successful in these situations? And it seems like the best way to understand that would be to go seek out more stories, right? It would be to go even farther yeah. down the, the stories. I mean, the other thing, look, way to look at it is here, how do you know where you're going if you don't have a map? Right. Right. Right? So now we can have a narrative map. And the neat thing about it is that because we can collect stories in the field through our apps, it's a 24-7 real-time map. So your contours are dynamically changing. So we can actually do a safety-to-fail experiment and then just watch as the new stories kind of come in, narratives come in, the map starts to change. So now we can talk about, if you want to talk about dashboard, we actually have a current real-time 24-7 dashboard. And so we don't have to look in the rear view mirror. We can actually look forward. Yeah. Well, I, I like I like what you're saying because it's, it's you not only have the dashboard, but you have the windshield too now. 
yeah. because you you can hover over those things as you kind of mentioned, and you're actually being able to to observe the context right instantly, which is just really neat. You can dive into those those stories, which to me is more of the you get the dashboard with the map, but then you also have the context, which is the windshield. You can actually view everything in context, which is super interesting to me. Um, what would you say to organizations out there? Because I, I I'm you interact with tons and tons of organizations. I interact with some and, and, and I've, I've had experience with organizations all over the utility space. And I'm just, I'm just thinking back, I'm just thinking back through, through the years in utility and uh, some of the things that might be said about stories by some of the utilities would be things like, well, people are just venting. People are just frustrated. It's, it's just them letting off a little bit of steam when they say those negative things and those stories. What, what would you say to, to folks that might take that perspective on, on some of the storytelling? Yeah, I mean, we try to differentiate between opinions and stories. Um, an exercise that we will actually do, and I've done this with utilities as well, is, okay, um, on a scale, a one to nine, Likert scale, okay, um, tell me what score would you give in terms of your satisfaction with the safety program? And typically, you get some bell curve around 5.5 or 6, right? right? And if you show that, and if somebody go like, well, what does that kind of mean? We all kind of like scratch our heads, go, I have no idea. I mean, or somebody like a leader said, I want to move that to seven. Then you go like, what do I do now, right? Well, what we can do is that we can actually go a little deeper and we can kind of go like, okay, um, that score of five or six at your gate. Can you share some stories or narratives why you gave that? And most people go, oh, sure. I mean, I gave, a, I gave a five because one time I had this great experience here, a 10 or nine. But then, but the other time I had this room that really sucked and that's a one. And what do we do? We average, we go five. That's how we get bell curves, right? Right, right. right. What we do when, when we collect stories like that, we get so much more data to work with, right? We get all the stories. Share all the stories that you kind of want. I mean, they're all, and we're always, not talking about negative stories, but we want the positive stories where things went right. So right. I don't have to say we want safety one or safety two. We just kind of say, what's on your mind? Yes. And tell us a story here. Because again, you don't want to over-influence people here. What's on your mind right now? Now, yeah. some of us, some people are so conditioned to look at the negative and our risk adverse, we may have to prompt we may have to say, okay, tell us a story um, where you've made you feel confident. Well, the one that I really like, which really takes out here, is just saying, oh, your friends, your friend has come to you and said, oh, my son wants to join your organization. Um, what sort of stories could you tell him about your organization? Mm. And you're going like, Ooh, do I tell them a good story, a bad story here? Yeah. What do I do here, right? Yeah, that's interesting. And to to me, it's that, especially when when you have folks that are willing to to put that out there, because um, at the end of the day, e either way, whether they're telling us uh, the good stuff or the not so great stuff, they're taking the time to tell us stuff, and 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 that's one of the big things I like to share with leaders all the time is that you have to be willing to accept what they give you. That That's, that's one big piece. Be careful what you wish for, kind of. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you, you know, you have to you have to understand that that's one thing that seems to to scare leaders at some point. It's like, well, I never expected them to give us all this negative stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They, it's kind of, they're kind of mind-blown because of, 
there's such a different in perspective, obviously, right, within the different levels of the organization. And a lot of times uh, our higher level leaders and orgs are looking down, going, well, everything looks fine from here. Right? And then all of a sudden, uh, we've done, in, in my world, we've done lots of focus groups and things like that, similar, trying, trying to capture stories, trying to, to fill our way through organizations. And when you take them that information, they have this initial moment, uh, moment of sheer and utter panic when they go, everything's not great. <laughs> what, what, would you, what would you share with that, that executive leader um, when they get those stories? Because I, I've got kind of my own opinion, but I'd like, I'd like to hear what, what, yeah. what how, would you, how would you almost comfort them when they, when they hear those stories? So, so, so the, the approach that we kind of use is called distributed ethnography. And it's, uh, the principle is um, dis, disintermediation which essentially says you cut out the middleman, you cut out the filter. Mm -hmm. So this is what Poindexter uh, was feeling that I'm getting filtering by those generals and those guys in between. I don't think I'm getting the straight goods. How do I actually reach the guys, the soldiers, you know, with, with boots on the ground? How do you do that here? And this is how Dave came in. Well, here's what happens here. Because they are actually the ones, their authentic voice that are sharing the story here you get to read their stories. There's no in between with that at all here. It's a direct pipeline there at all. Yeah. So this kind of, and then that really cut, cuts out the in between guys here. So that becomes useful because how often do we do traditional, and I've done tons of this, right? Using survey monkey, whatever. Yeah. You do the surveys, you do interviews here, but when we go and interview someone, you can't help it. You bring your own cognitive bias in there. You've probably got a bunch of questions that you want to answer. I mean, one of the big lessons I got is that when I went into um, <clears throat> on utility, I kind of like was, again, cautioned my, my friend here, Gary, um, we want to go in there as neutral as possible. We just want to listen to them. And sure enough, what happened is that we started to suck here, started to collect stories. One of the workers, um, an old salt, if you like, he leaves. We figured, oh, my God, what do we do to him? But he yeah. comes back two minutes later, and he throws down a pair of, look at these. What's that? These are called low-voltage rubber gloves. Okay. I don't know about that. What's the story behind them? Well, we're expected to wear these things now. And then, you know, we work in these little small control panels, small square, these big things in here. I... I think we have a bigger concern here. So then I always go, so what happens? Because right? you always wear this. We don't wear them, right? Oh, interesting. Well, when the auditors come by, what do you tell them? Well, of course we'd say, we wear them, right? With a smirk on our face here. Yeah. So this was quite uh, revealing, like, oh my God. I mean, this is something that's happening here that's being shared about this stuff there, which we didn't even yeah. know about as well. So this is the power of stories. Mm -hmm. We took that story and we kind of like shared that up with management. And they're going like, I wonder how many other different sort of situations like that the troops aren't telling us. And sure enough, another one came up here about budgets, which is interesting. Okay, you know, we have a situation here that around electrical station here, we tell the supervisor that, oh, we've got a broken wooden plank that needs to be fixed. 
and the supervisor, and I, and I feel sorry for the supervisor. He's a busy guy. He looks, he's looking after four stations here. He never got around to it. So now the snow has come and the snow is, you know, um, below two feet of snow is a broken plank. We have no idea where it is here. And so the supervisor said, okay, I'll fix it. And he brings in a snow plow and plows the whole field. And the guys are shaking their head going like, how much did we spend? We could have spent two bucks to fix the broken plank. You know, what's wrong with this sort of idea? Right? To get that here. So what emerged out of that was really quite fascinating was this thing about budgets. And it was kind of like, well, you know, the troops are saying, you know, it's safety is not about unlimited spending of money. Where we get really ticked off is how you guys spend the limited money that we got. We could have fixed that broken plank in the summertime for a few bucks, but now we have to plow the, plow the whole goddamn station for that yeah what's wrong so the the outcome out of that is that no you're right so they actually gave the um the electricians former electricians a small budget so they can go and fix these things so it's kind of like don't you know request thing to be fixed there change the narrative to like we had a broken plank and we fixed it now what is a better what what's safer Right there. What is more empowering? All right. So that if we see something, we can fix it immediately here within a certain budget. What's that here? Really, really wonderful story. Then you want to pass that sort of can we do more of that sort of stuff in our organization? Exactly. And, and I, I love, that's great. That's, that's awesome because I love the, the kind of touching on the budget because you're not only a lot, a lot of times in organizations, we vest people with the obligation or responsibility of going out and fixing things, but we don't actually give them the authority to go out and fix things. Right. So if, if, we're, if we're going to thrust those obligations upon them, we need to match that with equal levels of authority to actually be able to go out and fix stuff. And I think that's a really good example of, of what you were just touching on, because often we don't, right? We just say, well, see something, say something, and we'll, 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 we'll figure it out from there. And often, those of us that are farther, myself included, that are much farther away from the work, have no idea the best way or the best approach to go, to go about fixing that. To us, it's very black or white. And we could just say, well, we'll just plow the field, and we'll, we'll do that right now. And that, that makes the most sense to me. But to yeah. those out there that are actually doing the work, they're going, that's stupid. What are you Yeah. Yeah, you know, right. it, it was a lesson for me, too, because, you know, if I had not gone into what we call anecdote circles and basically mm. listened to people, I would yeah. not have known about low voltage rubber gloves mm-hmm. because it was not in my mind to even ask a question about it. That emerged from the group themselves because as soon as they had a level of comfort that they could share these stories, then, but more than that, once we share these stories, Sam, that some action takes place as well. Because again, right. number five, how principle responds to others. Right? Right. So I, I, I you know, I didn't know the hot principles back then in 2009, 10. Right. But it's, it's kind of like my message was if you don't act on these things, you know, people will next time you ask for this, they're gonna go like, why bother? Why bother? Right. Right. You you don't have uh, you don't have many shots at that. Right. Yeah. You, you, yeah. you can you can blow that very quickly. Uh, again, especially with with uh, with with response. Um, I I love that that you're touching on because you were talking about they they get they, they become comfortable 
Um, and I, I don't even like to throw around the word trust because I think we say it a lot. <laughs> I don't even like to throw that around. What, what I talk about a lot is creating environments in which honesty is possible, right? In, in which we can say the stuff that matters. And I, I think that's, that's kind of what I share with those leaders is that you want your employees, to your point on the direct pipeline, you want your employees those folks in your organization, you want them to be able to bring you this stuff and you want to be able to have that conversation where they can say, oh, you think that's bad. Let me show you where I almost died yesterday. You want them to be able to bring that stuff to you as scary. And, and it is to a leader that's scary, but that's back to the point on learning. That's where we start to get in and we can actually start to learn. That's a great purchase point to start learning is from those stories. Right? Yeah. And so I think one of the things we're trying to do is elevate things up to you can talk with individuals learning, not a problem, but we can also talk about is the system learning as well. Right. A little higher there, right? So we can talk to about um, do we trust the employees, psychologically safe, all those sort of things here. But we can also talk about trusting the system. And you can see some of the um, organizations who have kind of moved into more of a, from, a, from um, groups to teams to crews, you know, and ritualize things here. That if you've got a crew, what's really good about a crew is that they all have the basic understanding and training here. And if one crew member is pulled out, another one put in, everything's smooth. So, I mean, one of the more interesting models, of course, are Navy SEAL teams. You know, they can go like, we need five guys. So these four will kind of go. Or like, oh, no, we need, we need three. We need to have these guys here. And they can just put together here because everybody knows the rituals, the standards to play here. So it's really about the system there as opposed to the individuals here. And once we kind of get to that system level here, um, I think we could do a lot more because – this whole idea of making change in safety culture really is systemic. It's at the system level here. Yeah. I mean, I, I know that um, I've got friends that are kind of going, well, we'll make change, you know, one individual at a time. And take a long time. Um, yeah. You're better off is that right. can you change the system? And what we do um, is we talk about complex adaptive systems. So at the systems level, we want to look at all the people that are in there are actors and agents. We're not going to really try to change every individual actor and agent because one thing in safety, it's not a closed system. We don't, you know, there's, whether we acknowledge or not, there are suppliers, there's other contractors, there's all these other players that are influencing here. We have to focus at the relationships and the interactions. And so that's what we kind of look at that area there is, if we've got a team put together here and they're not functioning 100%, we don't look at the individuals. We'll look at, so what are the constraints that are hitting you that are forcing you to behave this way here? Right. Yeah. Right? Because we may find that two, two, two guys are um, like, you know, like acid and, uh, or oil and water. Well, fine. We'll just take them apart put them on the different teams and see how that works here. The best part about it is that if we've got narrative maps in place, and these guys are sharing stories, we can actually see them on our maps, how these things are working. Wow. wow. 
Wow. Very, yeah. So, so spot on. That's, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, and especially as we were kind of touching on, as you, as you were touching on there with the behavior, a lot of folks go down that path of trying to say, okay, we're going to change this culture one person at a time. And unfortunately, that's just not efficient. Number one, um, I'm, I'm a huge Edgar Schein fan. So I'm, I'm big into the assumptions that the organization holds. You know, I think you might have to get much deeper into the organization's assumptions if you really want to start to change a lot of what manifests through the organization, obviously, and all the way up into behaviors. Um, but yeah, I think that's, that's so interesting because that's, you know, I like the way that, 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 that Conklin put it. Uh, I was listening to him kind of chat on his podcast not that long ago. It was one of just, just one of those things that was one of those duh moments, you know, <laughs> you could have one of those. That's, that's so simple. It's beautiful. Where he's just basically saying that, you know, um, going out and asking people to change their behavior is probably a stupid way of trying to actually change behavior. Right. <laughs> it's back to understanding where that is coming from within the system. What is pushing that to happen? What is causing that to occur? And maybe changing that at a much higher level rather than trying to just go out and talk to people and say, okay, you need to change that. Yeah. <laughs> it just doesn't, it doesn't seem to work very well for many, many different reasons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that we do is that um, we have to go where the people are today. So right. we're always about, um, let's find out where we are today. Um, understand, okay, what are some of the pressures that they're kind of facing here? And, you know, behind every story we call, there's a second story behind that that may or may not have influenced them how to be. How to be. The other thing that we kind of say too is really, I mean, it's what is a hot principle number, number four, um, context influences behavior, mm-hmm. right? Right. That is really so true in the what we call a Kinevin complex domain here, because we know we can't control individual behavior. Um, everybody has that freedom to choose. So this kind of leads us into this fun world of behavioral economics of nudging. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Do we nudge people or do we yank people? Do we shove people? Do we smack people here? And we can see what's happening in the pandemic we've got right now. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I'm, I'm very proud to say, um, living in Vancouver in British Columbia, we're actually probably starting our third reopening because for whatever reason here, um, we haven't had to lock down. You know, um, most of the people have listened, to, you know, to, the, um, to our leaders that are in charge and saying, okay, yeah, we'll flatten the curve this sort of way. Uh, so it's all about, working at the system level there as opposed yeah. to individuals. Cause I know, uh, unfortunately in some countries, um, freedom of choice and resistance here, and it's causing some mm-hmm. behaviors from a scientific point of view is not going to flatten the curve. It's going to cause right. it. Well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in a, I live in the prime example, Yeah. right? I'm, I'm in, I'm in Phoenix, Arizona, probably the worst state right now in the United States with spiking and, um, it was, it's interesting, not, not to dive too far down that rabbit hole, but it's something that I find extremely interesting. Um, Arizona is the West, right? It still has some elements of the Wild West. And, and Arizona is a very, um, for, for lack of a better way to put it, it's a very liberty-leaning state. It's a very libertarian state almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I won't dive down the rabbit hole of politics for the listeners, <laughs> listeners out there. That'd be a whole other whole show. They can go tune in somewhere else for that. But it's, it's interesting because the first kind of round of this stuff, people were very much 
going down this path of, okay, listen, the, the governor passed a lot of stuff. It was okay. We're going to, we're going to lock down, but we're not going, we're not going to enforce it. People kind of willingly just, okay, we get that. That's great. We're going to, we're going to do that. And then now with this second round where it's been a little bit more forceful, it's almost drove the opposite behaviors that we would want to see. Mm-hmm. We see, we see, we see that happening now yeah. kind of in the state where we're going, okay, we're going to do this more forcefully now because, it's something that we see in our organizations quite a bit too, where we say, okay, well that didn't work quite how we expected. So let's do the same thing, but harder and with more force. And we, we know that it'll work. And so we've seen that kind of play out here in the state. Um, and we've got a lot of folks that just for that very reason going, okay, I was on board the first time, but now just because you made me mad, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> right? yeah. So we, we, we've almost drawn, we, we've, we've really pushed out the the behaviors that we did not want to see. And so often when we get into that game um, and when we do get more forceful, we often create behaviors that we, we actually don't want to see manifest. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's, it's, it's wild to see it play out at this level <laughs> in, in the state of Arizona, at least. <laughs> no, I, I think, you know, that's, that's why we, we try to stay at the system level, as opposed to individual right. level here. Cause yeah, yeah you can, can, and that's the same thing. Like, we do collect individual narratives, of course, that inform mm-hmm. us, but we try to stay at that contour map kind of level. Right. What are the patterns that are kind of forming here? Because it's a lot easier to try to um, shift people on patterns because you get a whole lot more people involved as opposed to one at a time. And you understand yeah. too, there will always be outliers. Mm-hmm. And not to say that we will ignore the outliers because sometimes there are outliers could be right. Yeah, we often, um, I, I just had on, uh, it's not out yet for those that at the time that we're recording this, it will be out by the time that this is on. So everybody will have a chance to listen. To it. I just actually had on Dr. Tim Ludwig not too long ago um, from, from the behavioral safety kind of community, which is kind of odd for the hop nerd to have on somebody, but it's a great episode. If folks haven't listened to it, let's go back and listen to it because we actually land on a lot of the same stuff. Yeah. Um, but it's, he's, he's touching on a little bit of what you're touching on with the stories and kind of as I was touching on a little bit with behaviors. Um, is as people, we like to assign some intent there to those behaviors, or we like to assign some some stuff to those stories when really we're just, instead of going out and saying, okay, bad story or bad behavior, we need to fix that one-off situation. We're just viewing that as a data point, right? We're viewing that as an opportunity to learn from something. And as a data point, as you kind of pointed out on the map, we're viewing that not as this, this problem to go out and fix as an individual thing. We're viewing it as a window into a deeper problem within the system that we can actually go and work on something that we can actually work on, which, which would be the system, right? Yeah. 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 We try to stay at the system level if we can, because mm-hmm. um, uh, you can obviously collect more data that way here. Right. Um, right. But obviously you you really always can't separate the forest from the trees. Sometimes you have right. to put trees. Oh. Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, I'll, let me, let me say this because uh this is definitely we're going. We're going to have to do this again. Let me let me start right there because there's just so much stuff. Uh, I, I feel like we have barely even scratched the surface, and we've been going for over an hour now. So I don't I don't want to take up too much of your time because um, I would like to have you back. I don't I don't want to I don't oh, want to keep more you than happy because uh, yeah more than happy to. Uh, I think we're every day. I seem to be learning something new that I didn't know about here. So happy to come back here, Sam, and share okay. them with you. Same. And that's, that's the biggest reason. Um, people ask me why I call myself a nerd all the time. It's because of that, exactly what you touched on. There's so much, it's exciting. There's so much stuff that we're learning constantly. And through this amazing community of folks that's forming, 
Um, you mentioned safetydifferently.com, an article. That's such a great place, right? Just to go over and just look at this body of knowledge and information. And LinkedIn, just in general now, I mean, just this community that's forming all over the place of just folks bringing together all these different pieces that are of value into evolving safety forward. Yeah, right? I, I mean, one of the things about complexity is diversity. Yes. Um, I mean, like, so every time I hear the word like shared values and alignment here, I kind of going, okay, but you know, that's all in the complicated <laughs> ordered system here, which we humans seem to like. The world is messy. You know, the world is full of diversity and thank God we have diversity, thank right? God, it's so man. necessary. So I'm happy to come on here and agree to disagree. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I don't try to argue. I'm going like, if somebody has a different point of view, I'll go like, well, that was different. Thank you very right. much. Right? <laughs> interesting. <laughs> yeah, interesting. <laughs> well, let me let me say this before we wrap up, and I'm I'm excited. This is this has been amazing. I'm excited to to. I'm already excited for the next one. But let me let me throw this one out here because it is our our uh, famous. Well, I guess it's our infamous our infamous last question, which is always this: any any final words, any last words um, for the folks out there that tune in. Again, a lot of them are, are leaders and frontline safety professionals and hot practitioners, anything that you would like to share with them, any go-dos, any practical tips, whatever, anything that you would just like to leave them with today. Yeah. yeah. We try to be um, science-based. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of stuff in safety, and I think Sidney Decker kind of said that in his last book, it's a social science. So what does that mean? But quite often means you can't replicate the experiment again, right? So we're in nature, nature is, nature is always doing experiments. And over thousands of years, they're repeatable. So I would say that if you're a leader or a professional, and you're, if your words like complicated, complex, tipping points, patterns, going viral, um, fast feedback loops, emergence, if those words you're hearing more of or you're actually even using here, then I think it's worthwhile to learn more about natural science, cognitive neuroscience, and of course, complexity science here. Um, one of the things I'm trying to do with some of the people I'm kind of like mentoring here is kind of go like, this is a big world. I mean, so there's always room to learn more. This is some of the newer stuff that I have come across here and I'm not stopping to learn and I'm, I'm continuing to learn every day as well. Yeah. I love it. I love it. That's, that's a conversation point that we could, we could have. That's again, that's an entire another podcast. If we get down this path of, I've, I've been having this conversation quite a bit lately of moving safety from a religion to a science, which, is, which has been, been a very interesting conversation to have with some folks. <laughs> <laughs> or do we land somewhere in the middle? I, I won't ask that question because we'll, we'll start, we'll start a whole nother hour. If, if we start going down. Probably would. Probably would. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, sir, for coming on. I, I, again, I, I just I can't thank you enough. This has been amazing. Um, before we go, how can people find you? How can people get a hold of you? Um, all that kind of sort of stuff. How, how can people get in touch? I do have a website. Um, it's just simply um, gswong.com. Um, it's, it started off to be a static resume, but I've had to add more content because of people mm-hmm. requesting that here. Um, mm-hmm. Probably on LinkedIn as well. Um, you can find me there. Um, quite, quite often, I'll be putting my two cents in there. Uh, but you can also find me on safetydifferently.com. Um, I 
probably will do another one soon, which kind of like captures all the stuff that we're learning now about how to deal with pandemics and stuff. And I did post one recently about um, black elephants. Mm-hmm. That yep. kind of went viral. So I, kinda, I didn't expect yeah. that because you don't, again, you don't know what goes viral or doesn't here. So right. Right. that's been kind of fun. You get hold of me. Or else yeah. you can, um, if you got LinkedIn here, my email address is there. My yeah. phone number. Um, I've been doing a lot of one-on-one conferences with folks. So I'm happy for people to come along for the ride. It's fun. Yeah. I love it. And that's, that's it. That's exactly it. It's such a community. It's such a community that's growing. Uh, and yeah, definitely head over and check out those articles on safetydifferently.com. They're, they're top notch. So I think, I think hopefully uh, you might have some folks reaching out to you. So they'll be reaching out and having conversations, which is awesome for More me. Happy. I think this, I think this conversation through these conversations, I truly believe is how we make the world a better place to work. I agree. Us coming together and figuring this stuff out and continually trying to evolve towards something a little bit better, right. I think is the important part. So, yeah, I'll look well, forward to coming back. Again, thank you so much. We're, we're, we're going to plan it. You just, you just tell me when you're available and we'll make it happen. I will, I will make myself available for it. <laughs> okay. Sounds good, Sam. All right. Talk to you later. Thank you so much. Okay. Take care. Well, what did you think about that one? I know that getting to chat with Gary is absolutely awesome. I love it. I like it. I got to have more of it. I get it. Listen, there was some uh, crunchy audio at some points throughout this thing. I tried everything to make it not sound like that, but for, for whatever reason, Zoom let us down, but it was too good to scrap. So that's why I tell you this at the end, because I wanted you to still listen to it. It wasn't that bad, right? You got to go back. You got to listen to that one again. That one was with the awesome Gary Wong. That's all I've got. It's Sam Goodman, the Hot Nerd, signing off. Bye, everybody. (laughs) 